All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to Beyond Portalcast. I am Colin from Legend of Portalcast, and I'm Marilyn from Beyond Benning Podcast. And together we have joined forces to discuss the rise of Kiyoshi. So, folks, it's been a little bit. Uh, hi, Marilyn. It's been a while since we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Colin. Happy New Year. I know. Seriously, Happy New Year. And with the new year, we got like that just tasty cover of Shadow of Kiyoshi. That was oh my god, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is so excellent. Uh so folks, uh, obviously we are picking up back with where we kind of left off. If you haven't listened to our previous ones, and if you haven't read The Rise of Kiyoshi, to both of those, I say, what is wrong with you? Just, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Uh, so this is specifically a joint venture that we do going chapter by chapter of The Rise of Kiyoshi. So if you have not read the book, there are spoilers. If you haven't read it and you don't care, then welcome to this crazy journey you're about to embark on with us. But otherwise, uh, we just kind of dive into this. And because we're kind of going every other one that we do an outline for... Anyway, Marilyn was the one who did the last one, and this week I am doing a chapter four. Woo! Let's let's get into this. Uh, just a like a little quick recap of last chapter because it has been a little bit. In case folks aren't listening to this like one after the other, the last one was uh, the boy from Makapu. We saw basically the training that Yoon was going through as the quote unquote avatar. And a little bit from his perspective of uh, what it's been like. So now we are at chapter four, Honest Work. And we are back with Kiyoshi's perspective. So we pick up with Kiyoshi and Rangi making their way into the mansion. It's interesting because Kiyoshi notes kind of the vast difference between the outside world of Yokoya and the mansion. Just talking about how it's like this kind of epicenter of diplomats and culture and as we had seen in like the descriptors in chapter two this is a like a whole complex that is modeled after all four of the nations and Jianzu's kind of turned this into like basically like a un i feel like almost <laughs> like Jianzu's un <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh he's on a power trip and we'll get into it Oh, yeah. And speaking of power trip, Rangi nods to some guards who uh, apparently left the Earth King and have now painted their helmets the green associated with Jianzu's. So he got like old Earth Kingdom guards to just like still wear their Earth Kingdom guard uniforms, but like repaint the color into like his colors and be like, you're with me now. And it's just like, whoa, dude. <laughs> God, that's fucking insane. <laughs> so as Kyoshi and Rangi walk in, FCE kind of paints this beautiful picture of Kyoshi's perspective. Uh, it says, quote, Inside, the vast garden hummed with conversation. Sages and dignitaries from far-off lands constantly flowed in and out of the estate, and many of them enjoyed conducting their business among the flowers and sweet-smelling fruit trees. An overdressed merchant from Omashu haggled with Fire Nation procurement officer over cabbage futures, <laughs> ignoring the cherry blossom petals falling into their tea. 
Two elegant northern water tribe women, arm in arm, meditatively walked a maze pattern raked into a field of pure white sand. And in the corner, a morose young man with carefully disheveled hair bit the end of his brush, struggling with a poem. Oh my god. So many tasty visuals in this. I love it. (laughs) You know when you're on Instagram and you're going through like the explore or whatever and you see a picture of like a celebrity and you're like, damn, I wanted to be there. Like, (laughs) I know it's so far out of reach, but like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I want to be in that mansion. It's such a cool just mix of all the different cultures. And clearly one of the things that Kyoshi also notes is that like, these are some of the world's best benders because they all want to be the one to teach Yoon. And she even says how like she can feel the air change when these people are here specifically also when Kelsang is there. Cause you know, he's like fucking with that. <laughs> <laughs> so while Kyoshi is in her head about the garden, auntie, uh, Mui? How are we going to say this name? We're back to the butchering of names. Is it Mui? Yeah, I would say it's Mui. So Auntie Mui, who heads up the kitchen, swats her and is like, use the servant's entrance. You're a peasant. <laughs> 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 Which I'm sure Rangi appreciated in some form or fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so that entrance, interestingly enough, is what also reveals how new the structure actually is. And it's interesting because we see this as the presentation of this mansion versus the reality of the mansion. How Jianzu is basically fast-tracking all of this at Mm. any cost. He has built this so quickly because they found Yoon. He wants to get everything rolling. They've already been behind. And it shows that this has all kind of just been thrown together. They enter the kitchen here we get Auntie Mui asking Kyoshi why Kyoshi won't use makeup to cover her freckles. She's like, girl, you've been out in the sun. Your freckles are popping like nobody's business. It's like, why aren't you using like my makeup? It's got like knacker root in it. And Kyoshi's just like, I hate having gunk on my face. It is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, how your tune will change. <laughs> But it's cool because we're kind of seeing like the setup in terms of like giving her a place to grow towards because so much of Kyoshi's identity is the face makeup. And uh, it's interesting how we're going to kind of see how that's going to change. But I love how like as Kyoshi is kind of having this conversation, she realizes that Rangi is like right behind her. <laughs> and like, So she first goes in to say like, look, you have gift duties to do, which what the hell are gift duties? What what did you think that like she meant by that when she first said that? I don't know. I like I think I don't know how to read Colin cuz I feel like what this is my second time reading this chapter and I don't think I read that part. <laughs> so, Kyoshi is uh, surprised that Rangi actually kind of followed here to what she describes as the bowels of the house. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And Rangi goes on to say, don't waste too much time here. You're not a scullery maid. And some of the staff who actually are scullery maids are like scowling at them. And clearly, Rangi gives zero fucks. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting, right? Like we're constantly reminded by like, Kiyoshi's hierarchy Mm. in where she stands like around um, everyone working at the mansion which 
is still up in the air because what the heck is like what is she doing with gifts like it's not revealed yet but <laughs> it is interesting how kiyoshi thinks of herself as like such a peasant and has like this mentality that even kitchen maids don't have at this point like she's thinking so lowly of herself more than the kitchen maids are and then rangi is always the one that is like no kiyoshi like you are important and it's really nice like seeing Rangi, even if it's like kind of like always a backhanded compliment whenever she talks to <laughs> Kiyoshi. It's still like this um like this self-esteem that she's trying to build for Kiyoshi, that Kiyoshi isn't working on herself right now. Absolutely. And it it's it really goes to show how Rangi is this like complex supportive friend. She is not your typical model for someone just being like, oh, you got this. It's like, no, like Rangi was born and raised in the Fire Nation and she has a very clear view of hierarchy and the way that she views herself and views other below her class. But she still genuinely cares for Kyoshi and is like looking out for her. Even like you said, she does give her in backhanded compliments. I feel like so much of the way that Rangi speaks is in backhanded compliments. <laughs> <laughs> But it's interesting that you brought up that point, too, because like you said, it's this weird hierarchy, this spot that Kyoshi is stuck in, um, where the villagers living outside of the mansion and the servants who live inside are both thinking that she is stuck up. The villagers thinking that she's stuck up for living in the mansion at all, and the servants are thinking she's stuck up because of her closeness to Yoon and Rangi. But we get this feeling from Kyoshi's perspective that she doesn't have a very high opinion of herself. She still kind of is carrying that ship on her shoulder of being this kind of like street urchin who was just barely surviving with no parents in Yokoya. And I just thought it was really interesting that like FCE kind of like highlighted that moment too. Um, because we'll see again and again that one of Kiyoshi's biggest hurdles that she has to overcome in this book is her own self-image. And it's just so much of what she eventually does, not only with the makeup, but with her outfit. It's all leading to this point where she, she doesn't quite know who she is. And she doesn't want to necessarily try to find out. But that's where Rangi is. It's like, yo, at least you're not a scullery maid. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen um have you seen the movie Parasite? No. Oh my gosh. It's the last one on my list that I have not seen. I have seen all the other Oscar contenders, but like I missed Parasite in theaters, but a friend of mine just got it on Blu-ray, I think. And we're going to get together and watch it. So I'm very excited. But if you have something you want to say in congruence with this, I'm totally fine. As long as it's not like super spoiler heavy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, this whole chapter reminds me of Parasite and just like comparing and contrasting the working class and like the upper class. Because you see like um, Kyoshi walks through the gates and she mentions how Kelsing compared walking through the gates, like walking through the gates of the spirit world like it's a completely different world it's just so insane you leave back behind like all of the the salt of the earth mentality and it's a place where you could just be free like spiritually and creatively 
and all that stuff. Unless you're a Scully maid, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Kiyoshi, you have it less hard. And just like that sense of purpose walking through that and it kind of parallels with Parasite, how like when they get to that house, they can kind of be like different people with nothing to hold them back. And then what also reminded me of Parasite was when we see like Auntie Mui pushing Kiyoshi towards the kitchen and just like the change in architecture like you see the outside like the facade of the mansion and it's beautiful it's elegant it's finished and then inside it's like rushed and construction is still going on and then Auntie Mui kind of like narrows it in when she tells Kiyoshi or asks like why aren't you wearing the makeup I gave you and Kiyoshi is like god I hate wearing makeup and it just reminds me of like how there's this mentality of how like the working class have to kind of make it seem like what they're doing is effortless mm. as to not upset like those in power and it's like oh god look at that sweaty gardener oh it makes me feel shitty in my mansion just looking at that it's like what the fuck mm. Her quote where she was like, you should make an honest living toiling under the sun, but never in the slightest look at it, is what caught my eye. Mm. And Kiyoshi's like, nope, I'm a mess with or without makeup. Everyone can see it. <laughs> and she's just like saying this all in her head. And I'm like, oh, God, Kiyoshi. <laughs> it's interesting kind of like expanding on that point. It feels almost like it's this commentary on this more corporate presentation that if you're working at a job, there's like a specific way that you are supposed to, especially if it's like retail or any kind of service industry, you have to present yourself to whoever you are helping in a certain way. And like, you know, I think that that gets into what you're saying, like even with the makeup and it's just like, don't show that you are in the middle of like, that this is like, a physically demanding job because at the end of the day people don't want to be reminded of like the suffering that you are going through by toiling away at a job that barely pays enough for you to survive and that's kind of the tragedy of it and i think that that's the deeper part of what auntie mui is kind of getting in for this but i, I don't know if it's that deep but i love that we're going there <laughs> <laughs> So we go uh, now to see Kyoshi and Kelsang here in the kitchen. It's interesting because we see again from Kyoshi's perspective, she says that Kelsang, that an airbender is amidst the cooks. So here's the description. I absolutely love the way that FCE kind of uh, establishes this visual of Kelsang. It says, quote, an airbender with his orange robes rolled up to his blocky shoulders, his massive paws were covered in flour, and he tucked his forest of a beard into his tunic to keep it from shedding. It was like the kitchen had been invaded by a mountain ogre. <laughs> <laughs> it's super interesting because it's like, that's not at all what you would imagine like an airbender to look like either. Yeah. At least from what we have seen from at least a lot of the airbenders that we know. To me, it's just like he is like a like king hippie in this. It is like the hippie <laughs> side of like the air nomad culture that's just like, yeah, man. All right, cool. <laughs> it's just like all he needs is like a drug rug and he's like fitting it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine Kel saying he's like in line in the kitchen 
in the southern air temple and he's just like grabbing all of the food and leaving like little to none for the rest of the monks and they just (laughs) stare at him with like the meanest looks and he's like what (laughs) (laughs) so kelsang says that he has been sent to the kitchen because jianzu thinks that he is distracting yoon who uh, will be dreaming of airbending if he's around. I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Kiyoshi rolls up her sleeves and gets to work, helping him with the dough. Um, And we get some Kiyoshi thoughts and reflections about the role Kelsang has kind of played in her life, sticking up for her when others wouldn't, and being there for her, trying to find homes for her, and really being this just advocate for her ever since they found her all of those years ago. And it's interesting because she talks about how that this connection, it also enabled her to understand that his good cheer was completely fake. And this is where we get some info on the way things have deteriorated between Avatar Kurik's old friends. Mm. It says, quote, Rumors flew around the house that the once legendary friendship between Avatar Kurok's companions had deteriorated, especially so between Jianzu and Kelsang. In the years since Kurok's death, if the gossip was to be believed, Jianzu had amassed wealth and influence, unbecoming of a sage who was supposed to be dedicated solely to guiding Kurok's reincarnation. Bending masters came to the house to pay obeisance to him not the Avatar, and decrees that were normally made by the Earth King instead bore Jianzu's seal. Kelsang disapproved of such power-hungry actions and was at risk of being completely shunted to the side. So there's a lot to unpack with this. And I want to kind of break this down a little bit and talk about at least what kind of information that we get and then how we can kind of better understand it. So the first is that what we are seeing in terms of the way that the world views this is that this is as if like Toph started to seize power and became like a ruler of like a whole town or village and forced people to pay homage to her. (laughs) She becomes the police chief. So, I mean, that's like partially like what happens, but it's like (laughs) it's it's for justice and it's for like moving something forward. Whereas it feels like Jianzu is like kind of taking advantage of his position in this situation with everything. Oh yeah. Jianzu's hella corrupt and it doesn't matter how smooth of a talker he is. Like he's not bullshitting Kelsang. Like Kelsang can see right through that. Mm. And I think it's funny how like the way I read it, Jianzu and Kelsang are like a married couple and they're fighting and Yoon is like siding because he has to side with Jianzu because Jianzu quote-unquote discovered him and of course Kiyoshi is loyal to Kelsang because he basically raised her and took care of her and so it's kind of like this weird family dynamic that everyone can see like just this family deteriorating and it doesn't help that it's just one of the most powerful families in the Avatar world right now. And it's it's really interesting because it's this idea of like what happens to the Avatar's companions following their death. And I think especially in Kurik's case, because he died young and unexpectedly, 
you are left with like this massive power vacuum and how little he did in the world as we come to realize. And then suddenly they're turning to the people who actually were doing things, which that's the thing about Jianzu is that he clearly was the one thinking about these political relationships and trying to do something with them. He's corrupt for sure, but he is also trying to find a way to make all of this work. He just doesn't go about it in the best way, I would argue. Yeah. But it's this idea of like kind of the political clout that comes with being so close to the Avatar and Jianzu's opportunistic values clashing with Kelsang's airbender values. So as uh, Kyoshi is kind of lost in these thoughts, Kelsang sends some airbending flower towards her, uh, <laughs> kind of like playing with her and being like a cheeky airbender as the airbenders are wont to do. And then he says he'd like to do a vacation, just the two of them, maybe visit some old sacred sites of air nomads. And Kyoshi says that she can't. And Kelsang's just like, girl, you don't know how to have fun. <laughs> And she's just like, excuse me? <laughs> but she is quickly given a chance to do that. But before we move on to this kind of uh, like next and final scene of this chapter, did you have any other thoughts on uh, basically the information that we got about Jianzu and Kelsang and the relationship of all the Avatar pals? Um... The book mentions how Kelsang left the Air Temple to take care of Kiyoshi in Yokoya, and I just think that's so cute. Like, he didn't have to, and yet I can't remember how far it is from the Southern Air Temple to Kiyoshi Island or Yokoya, but just taking constant trips like that, like, I'm pretty sure Kelsang had so much going on trying to find the Avatar and then, like, trying to be there with Jianzu, finding the Avatar and all the stress to go with it. But just, like, this father figure taking care of Kiyoshi and and making sure, like, when he's gone, people are taking care of her. Which isn't the case when we find out later that, like, Kelsang gave money to these people to take Kiyoshi in and they didn't give a shit about Kiyoshi. They just, like, left her to starve, basically. Which, I mean, at that point, what can Kelsang do? But still, like, Kiyoshi just never forgot that. Kelsang always has her back. And then when she turns him down with the whole vacation thing, there's this quote that she says in her mind, and she says, there'd be time enough in the future for traveling with Kelsang. Oof. My heart. (laughs) Prepare the shots. (laughs) For those of you that haven't read the book, Kelsing dies. (laughs) Oh, it hurts. Like, this line especially is hella foreshadowing. And I'm like, S.E.E., I see this now. God damn it. (laughs) I know. It hurts so much more reading this, like reading these interactions this time around. It's just like, it is that classic, like it's that mentor figure in like the hero's journey that you know you're seeing this connection between them and the protagonist and then like knowing that they're no longer going to be with them. Any hopes for the future just are, it's so tragic. 
to kind of see that like taken away from them before. <sighs> On a lighter note, um, the way FCE describes when Kelsang is messing around with Kiyoshi and he makes like those mini flower tornadoes, but he also makes kind of like an air bubble, but inside the air bubble is flower. And then um, I think Kiyoshi like popped one in the air and then she was just like having fun with it. But I just thought that scene was so cute. And if they ever make a live adaption of it, I really hope they include this scene because it's like, it's so little, it's so minute of a little bit of a description of their playfulness. But I think that scene in particular adds so much character and depth to their relationship. And I think if they take out this whole like making dumpling scene and just cut straight to like the poems that the kitchen will be singing later, it'll be sad if we don't get that much screen time of Kelsing because we definitely don't get that much screen time in the book with him. Mm-hmm. So now we get into a good old fashioned poetry throwdown (laughs) auntie mui calls for poetry time and she has the line cook start (laughs) he says the weather is nice sun shining down from the sky birds are singing good and auntie mui is just like that was awful where's your sense of balance symmetry contrast (laughs) she is so offended but then you got Kelsang coming in with that hot fire. I've got cheeks like ripe round fruit. They shake like boughs in the storm. I blush bright red when I see a bed and leap at the sound of the horn. And everyone just like pops off on that. They're like, ah! <laughs> like <laughs> they think it's just so good. <laughs> But apparently we find out that this was a shanty popular with sailors and field hands where you replace words from the perspective of your object of unrequited affection. And from there, people then had to guess as to who you were talking about. Um, Lee comes in with a verse and the dishwasher calls him out for having the hots for the green grocer's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kiyoshi is called on. And Kalsang gives her a look and Kyoshi takes it as a challenge to show just how fun she can be. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a strong visual in my mind of like seeing like her get called on. She sees the room around her. Then she sees Kalsang just like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) yes. Uh, And then Kyoshi starts to lay it down. I've got two knives that are cast in bronze. They pierce all the way to the soul. They draw you in with the promise of sin, like the moth to the flame to the coal. Ooh. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. Like from a fantasy novel perspective, I just geeked out so hard in this moment because I love the songs or poems or things like that that are in fantasy novels. There's so much of it in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Some, they go on for too long, admittedly, but they're still delightful. But it's like, I love when you get to see this because I think there's no better way to show the culture of your world 
than by having these representations of either song or poem because it's like such a raw creative expression from these people. And when you like say it out loud, you can like feel the rhyme to it. It's super satisfying. <laughs> One thing I wanted to note though is after Kyoshi says this, everyone loves it. And then Lee goes, keep going, you naughty girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> it was like the Avatar world of equivalent, just like, ooh, girl, you nasty. <laughs> and then Kiyoshi takes it a step further. She takes the dough and then starts to thump it to make some percussion as she is just like making donuts, thumping this, and then like spitting this like poetry. It's just, it's such a great scene. I love this scene so much. <laughs> and so the second line that she says, I've got hair like the starless night. It sticks to my lips when I smile. I'll wind it with yours and we'll drift off course in a ship touching hearts all the while. <laughs> and we see Kyoshi say that it feels like it comes easy to her. And she also says she likes how the inelegant lines made her feel truthful and silly and raw. Ooh. And this is so good. It's so juicy, but it's like, it really is this, like, I feel like, especially as a teenager, when you, you like, find, like, a song that's, like, a little bit, or, like, a book or something that's, like, explicit, and, like, you connect with it, and it kind of awakens something in you. There's this really, really amazing connection, I feel like, that Kyoshi is having here that, like, I can definitely see is such a relatable type of experience. Would you say that's fair or am I alone in my island over here? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm like picturing, because we know now that, um, well, I guess if you haven't read the books, everyone that's read the books knows that it's Kurok's poems. And so when you said the line like, I've got hair like the starless night, it sticks to my lips when I smile. And at first, when you're reading it, you could be like, oh, like, it's Kyoshi's hair. But you know later that it's Kurok's hair. And so it's like that line tricks you. And so I just thought that was smart mm. of FCE. And it's interesting because the way that she is describing this is that how it feels like it comes easy to her. And what I love about this, as we, like you said, come to realize that this is like something that Kurok wrote. We have seen past lives of the Avatar manifest primarily in the shows in way of combat or in other ways that are more maybe like a spiritual focus. But I love that we got to see something come through that was like an artistic expression. Yeah. And that was kind of like part of the legacy that was passed on. And that I really loved. And so she finishes out and says, For the way I walk is a lantern lit that leads you into the night. I'll hold you close and love you the most until our end is in sight. Mm. Then it's so nice. But then Kelsang grabs her arm, staring at her with crazy eyes and 
Kyoshi screams out from the pain and like the room goes silent, disbelieving. And it's just like an airbender, like committing like a physical act of aggression is like unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's so good. But then Kelsang chills and he's just like, Kyoshi, where did you learn that song? Oof. And then that is the end of that chapter. So thoughts on kind of this like last reveal here uh, before we kind of talk overall. You know, it didn't even occur to me what you said about how like monks don't really get violent. Like Kelsang grabbing Kiyoshi aggressively like that. Like in general, when a man grabs a woman, it's like, oof, oh no, you need to stop. And then people will get involved. But for a monk to do that, Mm. is just like times 10 like oh there's something wrong yeah and oh geez yeah it's it's just really interesting because it's a great way to like show how serious this is and how serious kelsang is about this to know that like an air nomad would be so shocked that they would grab someone and inflict pain on them when not even being provoked yeah And it's hard to talk about this act in particular because we have a whole chapter after this that explains why Kelsing does that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Should we hold off on unpacking it? Because there's a whole chapter after this where Kelsing unpacks it for us. Absolutely. Yeah. It unpacks pretty substantially into the next chapter. So I kind of want to just talk like, because I feel like this is, we get a lot of these types of chapters in this book where it is like these kind of shorter, more interlude-esque chapters. Mm. Um, Because we'll have chapters that are like sometimes 30 pages long and others that are like five pages long. Um, And it's interesting kind of the different ways that they're used And I feel like that this one, we get to see a really nice tender moment between Kyoshi and Kelsang. We get a better understanding of how Kyoshi views herself in the hierarchy of Yokoya and in the mansion. We also get a little bit of culture in terms of this poetry like throwdown in the way that people express themselves creatively. And then we have Kyoshi tapping into an ability that she didn't realize that she had, but it triggers a violent response from Kelsang. Yeah. I did want to kind of go over a bunch of little things I noticed throughout the chapter. Of course. So the chapter is called Honest Work. And again, this whole chapter, I couldn't stop thinking about Parasite. And what is it? Those war veterans that painted sage green colors over their earth kingdom colors and it i don't know can you imagine like ex navy seals in front of like elon musk's house or something like it's so jarring it's like this person jianzu must have so much power and money where he got like the most respected military guys from the earth kingdom to just guard the avatar's mansion i mean i guess it is the avatar's mansion and it pays more but i don't know it just paints a picture of jianzu's rank in all of this and it paints a picture of these war veterans bowing to a 16 year old rangi 
the daughter of the Avatar's fire-bending teacher. And just everyone's place in the society right now. You got Auntie Mui trying to hide Kiyoshi in the kitchen quarters. And there is some symbolism here. I don't, I'm not smart enough to pick up on it. But just when you see the transition from like the outside of the mansion, how it's all beautiful, and just going downstairs to the basement of the mansion where it still needs work. And maybe it's a symbolism of Kiyoshi's journey in the future. Mm. Or maybe it's Yoon symbolism as like this avatar but not avatar Mm. i don't know i like that second one because i think that it is this idea of like it's um the presentation of the mansion is in a way the way that jianzu is presenting yoon to the world as this like idealistic perfect representation of what the avatar should be as a political player but like underneath it all it's like it has just barely been thrown together and there is still so much that needs to be like worked on, especially more importantly, his fire bending or any other bending at all for him to be able to do. And yeah, I, I, I love that. That's a great point with that, Marilyn. Thank you. Also, Auntie Mui is like a super duper matriarchal figure. And I love it. Yes. <laughs> I think if I could relate to anyone the most, I think I would be anti-Mui. Just like force everyone to do poetry. Like, although I am with Kyoshi on this one where I don't like wearing makeup. But other than that, I would definitely force everyone to do poetry. It's interesting because everyone can roll their eyes and, I don't know, resent anti-Mui for forcing them to do this like kind of ridiculous thing in the kitchen but if you think about it like the lower class who's gonna go out of their way to like put them in that position I don't know I feel like the lower class won't have the resources or the money to or the time to focus on that particular form of artistic expression Mm. you know it's just like all grind and, like, they don't have movies as an outlet. They don't have maybe, like, the town throw some plays every once in a while. But I do like how Auntie Mui, even though she's, like, a super, super side character, is kind of, like, the mother figure of the working class in this mansion. Mm. And she is tough, but but it's, like, tough love. And you see that love. You see the love, like, she gave makeup to... Um, Kiyoshi that doesn't really appreciate it like she she's trying to make Lee a better poet even when like that first poem that he says is just god awful (laughs) (laughs) and she lets um I don't know if it's out of her control but she lets Kelsang run to the kitchen when he needs to escape like god knows Kelsang needs to run away from Jianzu every once in a while because I could just imagine being around Jianzu is a lot to handle sometimes and then Auntie Mui is just like opening up her kitchen to everyone Mm. and then even Kiyoshi doesn't really belong in the kitchen it's just like this kind of safe haven in the working class where Kiyoshi and Kelsang can feel safe and have fun and so yeah I love Auntie Mui (laughs) (laughs) I I love her even more now after like what you're kind of describing this her role and the way that she is this like great 
important matriarchal figure for all of these workers here in the mansion. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'd say this this was a really fun chapter. Really, really cool. Great lead into the next one. And uh, just really nice little character moment with uh, Kiyoshi and Kelsang especially. So, uh, all right. Well, folks, that, that concludes uh, chapter four, Honest Work uh, for Beyond Portalcast. Um, so again, uh, just to remind you guys, we are going to be doing releases every other Thursday. Uh, so for in two weeks, uh, we will have chapter five coming out at you. But in the meantime, be sure to check out Marilyn and her podcast at Beyond Bending Podcast. Can you uh, talk about how everybody can find you? You can find Beyond Bending Podcasts on all of your streaming services. Follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we even have a website, beyondbending.com. So yeah, go ahead and check us out. Where can people find you, Colin? So you can find Legend of Portalcast on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod, um, and on our website at Legend of Portalcast. Uh, .com. Um, so what we're also going to be doing is we're going to be creating a playlist uh, on our website that is also going to have all of these. But if you want to listen to all of them uh, in kind of like a row, be sure to check out uh, Beyond Portalcast YouTube. Uh, so we'll have that included in our link tree uh, for you to check out as well. Um, so that's where we're going to have all of the videos kind of all uh, together. Otherwise, you will be able to find it here in the feed of Legend of Portalcast. But if you're looking for a way to easily go through them, we're going to have a kind of playlist playing from the website. It's not through a podcast app, but in case you just want to listen to it that way, you just have the option. And I think that that wraps it up. Thank you all so much for listening. And we're going to find out why Kelsang raged against Kyoshi uh, <laughs> in two weeks. For chapter five. But for now, let us leave. Flame me out, hot stuff. Hotman? Hotman? Hot woman? Hot <laughs> woman. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> That's what Auntie Mui would say. <laughs> hot woman, where is your where is your cemetery? <laughs> <laughs>